Today's episode contains explicit language and conversations around sex, human anatomy, menstruation, and personal experiences. We advise that you don't listen to this in the company of little ones or anyone who may be uncomfortable with these topics. Hey, sugars, come on in and take a seat. You're listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast about sex, health, and thriving. I'm your host, B. Dixon, co-founder and CEO of The Honey Pot Company. And I'm your other host, Javon Alfieri, The Honey Pot's director of digital. Ooh, now let's dig in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Honey Pot Luck. I am so excited to talk to you all today. I'm Beatrice Dixon, co-founder of The Honey Pot Company, and I am here with one of my favorite humans, Gigi. You're my favorite. Yeah, so we're actually here to talk about sex in the city today. Long time coming. You are so right. It is a long time coming. You can't have a podcast that's about sex, wellness, all these things without somehow leaning into Sex in the City and understanding how much of a phenomenon it was and its importance. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go here first, and then I'm going to tell our beautiful listeners why we chose this topic, but... Tell me your relationship to Sex in the City, what your like personal anecdotes are, how you feel about it, and then we're going to get into all of the other stuff. I grew up on Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I it was something that I watched literally every episode when it came on. Even if I turn on the TV now and it's on, like, I'll be like, fuck it. Like, if I'm in a hotel and they don't have Netflix or something, For sure. then, you know, and it's on, like, that's where I'm going to stop, you know? And I know all the episodes because I've seen them. I think that I've identified with all of them at one point or another in my life. Yeah. Based on, like, just the years, you know, as you get older, just just changes. What's important to you changes, you know? I think when I was younger, I definitely... Who do you think I identified with? Samantha. Yes. <laughs> Duh. I would honestly, like, never self-prescribe or describe myself as a Samantha, but I'm sure all my friends would. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, you have full-blown Samantha energy. I love it. I love it. Well, it's interesting because this is precisely why I wanted to have this conversation and for us to go into the depths and, and see where this led us because it's interesting. I similarly feel like Sex in the City is my warm blanket. Whenever I need to like fully zone out and feel safe mm-hmm. and I'm like, I want to be stimulated by television, Sex in the City. The reason I wanted to have this conversation is because I love the show so deeply, but I also feel like I have a very complicated relationship with it or something that I just wanted to pick apart and learn more about and use as a mirror for myself because it's like to that point of someone being a Samantha or a Carrie or a Miranda, it's very weird to me as a human that we gravitate towards being identified as like singular things. Absolutely. Like I want to be this one person, not all four. And as I've gotten older, what I've realized is that I am all four because all four is like a full human. Right. Right. You know? And so that's why I wanted to have this conversation is to get into the layers of what it looks like to influence a culture and how that can be so liberating and exciting and monumental, but also detrimental. And I know that it's necessary. Like, I know that it's necessary, but it sucks that it's not just apparent 
that TV should represent humanity because people are actually being conditioned by it. You yeah. nailed it. That is, no, that beautifully put, that was the thesis statement is like, this isn't dimensional, but we love it so much. What's wrong with us? Right. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We'll be okay. Because you know what? This is a such a fucking fun conversation because it's sex in the city. It's sex. It's fashion. It's New York. Yes. Like things that we genuinely love. And so we cannot wait to get into this conversation today on how Sex and the City influenced us with our amazing guests, Liz and Ida. I am so excited to introduce our guests today, Ida Harris and Liz Eswan. Ida Harris is an editor, journalist, and essayist covering topics that intersect with Blackness, including art and womanhood. In 2019, she wrote an article called, Carrie Bradshaw Isn't For Me, Why We Need More Women of Color Sex Columnists. And Liz Eswine is one of the founders of New York or Nowhere, a premium lifestyle brand based in New York City. She also runs the mega popular account at New York City, which documents the good and the bad of the Big Apple. This conversation has been many moons in the making, and we are very honored to have you both. And today's conversation arguably should take a lot of different directions. So I know that uh, the thesis is sex in the city, but it's so much more than that. It's like sex and being a human on this planet. So would love for you guys both to, uh, to kick off and introduce our listeners to yourselves, who you are, what brings you to this conversation. So I'll pass the mic to you, Ida. Yeah, I'm Ida Harris. I am managing editor of Madame Noir. I am a woman who loves sex, and I'm honored to be having this conversation with you all today. I don't think we talk about sex enough, uh, particularly Black women. I think we talk about it, you know, in our huddles and in our safe spaces, but I'd like to be a part of a conversation that normalizes, you know, Black women talking about sex. Thank you so much, Ida. And Liz, if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. I'm Liz Eswine. I run the at New York City Instagram account, which really documents all of the good and the bad of New York City, mainly through rosy colored glasses. And I'm also co-founder of a brand called New Yorker Nowhere, which is a premium lifestyle brand based out of downtown New York. We have a longstanding partnership with the NBA and the New York Knicks. And again, it really is a brand about New York City. All right. B, are you ready? <laughs> Let's go, girl. Let's do this. Okay, so like I said from the get, the conversation was really born of this idea of, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, we're each part of the zeitgeist. And that, you know, zeitgeist for me was very much punctuated by Sex in the City growing up. And so I had presented this conversation to be like, what are the potential influences that Sex in the City as a television show, as a cultural revolution has had on the way people perceive relationships, friendships? And the reason also Liz is here too is like New York City, right? What impact do we think it had? And then on the other end of it is Ida, from your point of view, is a lover of sex and a human on this planet and a writer, more importantly, like what kind of relationship did you have with this you know, television show first and foremost? And then if you could speak to the kind of influences that you've witnessed. 
This wasn't something that I would normally get to see on television. Uh, a group of women having relationships, um, you know, who were friends and peers. We had some iterations of that, but they never really truly intersected with sex. So we'd had like living single, you know, you have a group of friends um, sharing experiences, um, you know, and there would be conversation or some sort of like innuendo or, you know, hints about romance and hanky panky. And I say that with air quotes, but Sex in the City delivered something that was more straight to the point, direct, not necessarily in a vulgar way, but just like in a real way, in a way that I had conversations with my closest friends. I guess what's interesting, though, with that in mind, though, is don't you think now, I mean, maybe in your 20s and experiencing it to now, and like Liz also would love your thought, and B too, like, don't you think that also the ways that it represents sex, obviously it's television, so I realize it's all constructed for the the medium, but it also felt very trope-like. Like, even the way that you would have sex was still contingent on your character or very much isolated to one way of being. And I think that for me is very challenging because sex is so dynamic. Giovanna and I are are a very similar age, if not the same age. And I think for me at that time, it really was like the first pop culture exploration of what sex kind of was like for these different characters and people identifying with them. And back then, sex was such a taboo topic. Then you think of the media and conversations around sex nowadays, and it's everywhere you turn, every app you open, every page you flip, every billboard that you see. And I really don't think the popularity of a show like this could have existed today because the conversation of sex and exposure is so widely available. And at that time, I think really Sex and the City was one of the most iconic expressions of that, right? I agree. I agree. And I think to your to your point about the tropes, using the tropes, I think it was very um, relative, right, for... Mm a spectrum of women to try and identify with at least one of the characters in some kind of way. And so I think that was important in tiptoeing into like this uncharted water, I'll say. I might have actually connected to Samantha (laughs) more than I connected to anybody else because I was living my life and, you know, around that part of my life. But, But I also feel like in some form or fashion throughout my life, I probably could connect to all of those women. Yeah, I agree. And and I think it's it's interesting because you can't really talk about, you know, now you've both said this beautifully, you can't really talk about the show without putting it in its place in time, like on that, you know, that spectrum of what was happening culturally. I think what's interesting to me about the tropes, though, is like, Samantha, I think that we should reclaim the word slut, so I'm going to use that word in a very empowered way, but had sexual prowess and was dynamic and was a self-starter and super independent. And what's fascinating about her is that she ended up being in, like, one of the most long-standing relationships. So it was, like, this reversal of the trope where you had this sexually malleable, excited human who then ended up, you know, figuring out their way to, to kind of a love and a sustained partnership. And then I just also remember 
remember certain like certain anecdotes of say Charlotte who like loved anal sex but wasn't very like vocal about it and moreover on paper <laughs> you would never associate her with that right I mean I feel like even thinking of Geo like back when we were in high school and I think Sex and the City was just starting to air then or like early no definitely high school there was a relation to each character in every friend group. I guess I challenge that a little bit. Is it that people fall into those things or is it that they choose to fall into it them because they're the most adjacent to that or they're the most likable? Like no one ever wanted to be a quote unquote Miranda, but like I am 100% a Miranda. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just what seems more appealing to you. Like maybe it's even you looking outside of yourself and saying, oh my God, I wish I was X, Y, Z, but really I'm this. I, I don't know. Totally. I think it's all of those things that you had mentioned. So with that in mind, like the ability for it to create these characters and then these characters that people have relationships with, and then we know the foreground of this is all sex. Um, Another unique layer is the interdynamics of the women, right, as being friends and the way that they like perceived each other and interacted with each other. And so from either lived experiences or observations, like I'd love to hear everyone's point of view on what we think it did to this idea of friendship, friend groups, the way you exchange or exist in in friendships. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I think one thing that when Gio prompted that question that I was thinking about was the notion of family, right? Like we really don't ever explore their immediate family. We never find out who their parents are, really. We don't really find out if they have brothers and sisters. And so I think like this really is a group that becomes friends as family. And that dynamic has really been built throughout the, you know, however many years the show has been on air and also in the movies. And I think that's a really interesting angle, whether it was purposeful or kind of just something that has naturally progressed in the show. I agree, Liz. And I want to piggyback um, because my thought was that it brought me and my friend groups closer. Wow. I'll say this, you know, there's this idea that women can't truly be friends. Like, you know, we have to like watch out for one another for some odd reason, right? Mm -hmm. But this show kind of dispelled that on air. And even though we were adults, young adults at the time, we were still young, right? So it gave an example of what friends could look like as family, how we could elevate from this kind of group of young, maybe naive women uh, to women who could rely on one another and we could rely on each other as aunties and godparents and things like that. So that's what it did for me in terms of like watching the the friendship dynamic. It brought us a lot closer because we had like a visual representation. Not that we did not see that at home, but, you know, pop culture is just kind of a little different. Yeah. And they operated like a family, too. You know, like their fights would be very... (laughs) They could be really dramatic. The relationships were real. 
I think like for me, this sort of tees up a very like organic segue or, and maybe this was intentional on your behalf, Liz, but how New York then now becomes sort of part of the family too, right? Because I think when we talk about the coast, be it Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta, some of these major cities, it is much more common to seek family outside of outside of your biological family, if you will. I wonder what we think, <laughs> why New York obviously makes the most sense for this exploration and for all of these things, but like, how would it look elsewhere? I don't know. I feel like you would have to do the same thing in LA though. Like you really have to have a squad. But it's <laughs> so <know>? much <laughs> harder to uphold those relationships than it is in New York because New York is fluid. Like you hit someone up after work and you're like, I'm here, I'm going to meet you. Or you have your spots and someone can just randomly bump into you there. Like LA is just not really like that. Yeah. Everything is so far out and not necessarily as connected. I'm just going to be a little biased here and just say, I don't think this show could have existed anywhere else but New York. I think New York is really one of the few, if not the only cities. I mean, I think Paris is an exception, but I think New York is one of the few cities that you can really personify in a lot of ways. And, you know, she is a living, breathing storyline throughout this not only this show, but, you know, in The Sopranos and Seinfeld and Friends, it's like this city is a cast in and of itself. Yeah, everything is deeply, deeply, deeply connected on top of each other. Yeah. It doesn't have any other choice but to be in New York. And so naturally, the human energy is. So it actually makes sense what you're saying. You know, my family lives here and something that I really observed heavily during quarantine and COVID was really how New Yorkers looked out for one another because of exactly what you were just talking about. Like we really do live on top of each other. Everything is so interconnected, the energy, just walking past people on the street and everyone really acknowledged that during that time period. And I think that was really one of the most profound moments of living here. I love that. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation. This is part one of our amazing conversation on sex in the city and how it influenced us with Liz and Ida. So please, please, please make sure to stay tuned for our episode next week where we get into more. We get into some juicy stuff around sex in the city and then honestly just more personal anecdotes on what it means to be part of a cultural zeitgeist and, and care about it. This was a really good conversation. Full transparency. I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. You know, I love the idea of this topic, right? Yeah. And I love the idea of the humans that we brought on because they were perfect. Like, Ida is so Brooklyn, it's ridiculous, right? And Liz is just so passionate about New York. I mean, what two perfect humans Right, from their personal experiences. And then they're also like Sex and the City fanatics. Exactly. Which I thought was so meaningful because you never know, right? You know, like people might be interested in following the thread of Sex and the City, but for us to have had a conversation that was like rooted in real understanding of the show, I think is super cool. Like, 
And also, I want to say thank you for trusting me on this one. Always. (laughs) Always. Uh, Because, like, it was, you know, a lot of the topics that we cover throughout the course of the podcast are my brainchilds, and I never know how they're going to come to fruition. But then when we meet with other people who are like, damn, I've thought of that same thing one or two times or – you know, it's interesting to think about how Sex in the City influenced my life. I think it's it's pretty cool. And I think what's also interesting is kind of how all of us come from different ages and cultures. So, like, you know, you had Ida who was experiencing this in her 20s. And then you, I think, were in your early 20s. And I was, like, in high school. Yeah. Oh, wait, maybe you were even not in your 20s. Maybe I you was- were actually, like— I mean, it was on for so long. Right. I was coming out of high school and into my 20s. Right. And then I was almost too young to have, like, exposure to that. So it's very fascinating to think, okay, we were all at different phases in our life. Maybe you and Ida were in this space where you were having different kind of sexual experiences or just, like, out there with your friends, et cetera. And then for me, and, and perhaps even Liz, like, it was very, like, fantastical or this thing that we had to look forward to once we got to like a certain age and so I thought that that was just such an interesting part of this first exploration into this conversation of like yes we were all in different places but the unifying quality was this relationship of friends and how friends can become like family I think that that was such a cool thread I think you both like it hit that light bulb where we're like damn yeah we hadn't thought about that like there was a very intentional element to the writing that was like we're gonna exclude peripheral family members and we're gonna focus on chosen chosen yeah they lean on each other they do the whole thing I thought that was really powerful I had never thought of that before had you no I had it and I think Ida spoke to this kind of in a pretty interesting fashion where she sees that you know she feels that and that Mm -hmm. was obvious to her her friends what have you but the unifying quality or the thing that made it okay was that it was about sex and that it was revolutionary. It was. Nope. So yeah. And it, it was about women. Right. And right. we are women. Right. And that the stories being told, if they were being told from the lens of a black human or, you know, an Asian human or, you know, any kind of human, would still be relatable because the principle of sex or the principle of love even mm-hmm. is shared by all humans. It is, exactly. Isn't Otherwise, it? we wouldn't be here. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> B will always remind you that you came from a vagina yes. and that vaginas created this. Yes. Don't you fucking forget. Don't you forget. <laughs> and I wanted to say also that, like, understand anybody that's listening, everything that we're saying is just our opinion, right? Like, everybody's entitled to it, yep. you know? If you don't agree, that's fine. If you agree, that's fine, too. I just really felt the need to say that. Thank you for saying that. So see you next week, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to The Honey Potluck, a podcast by The Honey Pot Company made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, B. Dixon. And I'm your co-host, Javon Alfieri. We're so grateful to have you here. We love you. Mean it. Thoughts and experiences recounted in this episode are hosts' own. Alana Herlins and Lizzie Stewart are our producers. Laura Boyman is our associate producer. Sydney Evans is our dialogue editor and mixer. A major thank you to everyone who makes this podcast possible. 